the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I'm very glad to be with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline as well. Just happy as a lark. I don't know what that is. I think it's a bird. A lark is a bird. (laughs) But I am happy. I don't know if I'm happy as a lark, but I am very much happy. And I hope you are as well. Here we are again, having turned the corner and moved into another week. Um, We happen to be on the seventh day of October. We are moving fast into our fall season and uh, a lot of things go on with that. Although today the weather has been absolutely gorgeous, fabulous, wonderful. Again, last Monday, remember kind of weird Sunday night raining and precipitation overcast, etc. Here we are now with one of those just great Monday weathers that uh, California happens to afford us, particularly this time of year. So yeah, I'm cool. I'm good. I'm, I'm great. Got a lot of things going on. So if you want to, we can kind of pop Perea today. one 367 Let me see if I can get some volume. There you go. one 367 If you want to start putting in the ingredients for a conversation, a dialogue um, for the next two hours as we are exercising our constitutional right to gather together, to assemble Uh, freedom of speech, and therefore to lay out uh, before our world what's on our mind. And hopefully we can be encouraging and edifying to one another along those lines. I'm here to answer your questions, to address your concerns, to be challenged by your issues if you have them. Um, Maybe something I've said in the past would be something that you need to once again revisit and then deconstruct if you just felt felt like you needed clarity on what I was talking about, whether on this program or on the weekly 12 noon program. I'm not real sure where we are in our uh, preaching series. I'm not listening right now, just kind of bogged down with other stuff. By the way, I don't hardly ever listen uh, to the noontime program unless I'm listening for some kind of technical issues, difficulties, or what have you in terms of the quality of the sound. Most people who sing don't like to listen to themselves sing. Most people who speak or preach don't like to listen to themselves speak or preach. I certainly don't. Um, I think it's something weird about a person that just likes to hear themselves along those kind of lines. But I don't. But I do hear from people about the program. And and apparently people are being blessed and enjoying the preaching and teaching on uh, 12 noon. We have grace. 
But if I've been talking about something that has kind of challenged you or stirred you or you are struggling with it, give us a call. one 367 5329 one 367 And I'd be glad to help you help you uh, get, get through that. I was thinking about what's been going on recently, and I really don't do that a lot in terms of uh, – and I think all the time, but I don't really think about this a lot. Uh, about the way our president behaves, about the way he goes about uh, doing the president's business in public. I don't really, yeah, you know, he's he's this kind of odd uh, fellow that has his own way about how he does things. And he definitely does not operate out of a normal, historic presidential protocol, if you will. Uh, and, and, and for that, he gets a lot of flack uh, on the Internet, uh, not on the Internet, but in the media because he uses, you know, media, social media to, 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 to basically kind of exercise his presidential offer, uh, office, particularly in relationship to his foes, whether they be common Americans or people around the world or uh, uh, politicians who, who oppose him and disagree with him. Um. He seems to know how to use social media to kind of fence them in, if you will, push them back, engage them uh, in a kind of sparring match that uh, mandates that it be done publicly. And so what's been going on lately has brought up this question, and I want you to think about it with me, and I'd love to hear from you, not super profound. Um, Is the president behaving in a way that does merit impeachable, uh, you know, concerns. Is he behaving in a way that is impeachable when it comes to how he engages foreign countries? Now, I know in time past there would not have been such kind of freedom expressed by presidents to ask other presidents to search and inquire about American citizens as well as politicians because they are that would be kind of you know. Uh, that's kind of like telling other people uh, in other countries to get involved in our affairs when those affairs that are ours are within the boundaries of our own country. It just seems odd that President Trump has done this now quite a few times, even before he became president with Hillary Clinton basically saying to Russia, you know, check Hillary out. You guys better do some digging into Hillary now. Uh, he wasn't president. So, you know, there is there wasn't any kind of reprisal that could be set forth in any significant way. I don't think. But now that he's president and uh, recently he's gone after Joe Biden, you know, you know Joe Biden, like, like all the politicians, to some degree or another, I, I can imagine are not as squeaky clean as the wind driven snow. If you really get behind their politics and their actions, you can probably find something that is problematic with all of these people. The Bible's very clear about the nature and uncanny surreptitious behavior of politics. None clean, in my opinion. Uh, but but my question to you would be, is is it prudent? Is it uh proper? Is it appropriate? for the president to be going after a fellow American citizen in that fashion as to seek the cooperation of issues, political or social or what have you, from different politicians 
I mean, different presidents, different countries on politicians that he doesn't like or that don't like him or somehow he has uh, become aware of, gotten wind of the fact that they want to take him down. And so he's going to use his power as president to find out what uh, what they may be doing behind closed doors. I mean, you know, President, uh, Vice President, Joe, uh, Bryce, Vice President Joe Biden has a lot of contacts with different people all over the world. And those are precious, private in some cases, and very personal in terms of uh, American policy, uh, issues that should not be exposed on a public level, I, I would think. But I, I was just wondering your thoughts. I mean, quite frankly, every president that I have known, except for maybe Jimmy Carter, going all the way back to uh, Richard Nixon, has has always had his opponents wanting to uh, impeach him. So for me, impeachment is kind of like uh, a, a common parlance when it comes to you not being a very popular president, that uh, that your behavior is always under suspicion by the opposing party, whether the liberal or the Democrat or the uh, Republican or the conservatives. Whatever side you're on, the other side is going to try to find dirt on you that might rise to the level of impeachment. I mean, it was the case with Obama. They wanted to impeach him, the conservatives. The case with Bush, as you know, um, I don't know about President Reagan. I don't think Reagan ever reached the level of impeachable rhetoric, impeachable dialogue. If he did, you can let me know. But I'm all I'm asking you is as as believers, given that we know that the Bible says that we are to, according to second first Timothy two verses one through five, that we are commanded to pray for all men and particularly those that are in leadership. Pray for all men, particularly those that are in leadership. Don't agree with all men. Pray for all men. Don't succumb to the lie of uh, the political machine, but pray for all men that we might live a peaceable life in all godliness. Because God would have men and women to be saved through a peaceable civil society by which the mediatorial work of Christ can go forth in the preaching of the gospel unimpeded. It's what Paul is saying that we pray for. We're not praying that the left win. We're not praying that the right wins. We're praying that the gospel wins. That's what we're praying for. We're not praying for the success of President Bush as a Republican uh, conservative or moderate, whatever you may call him. Believers are not praying for that. Believers are praying for the success of the gospel. For the peace of the gospel to enter into men and women's hearts all over the world, regardless of your political party. That's what we're praying for. And when we read First Timothy 2, 1 through 5, what we understand is that prayer honors God as sovereign. So instead of haranguing and arguing and debating, we are not angry political people. We are spiritual people that are walking in principle that uh, addresses the matter first with the God who gives us breath, life, and controls all our ways. We believe God is sovereign. and That means he is in control. It's not an idea or a theory. We factually believe God's in control, and thus we pray to God, petition God, and ask God to govern the hearts of the kings, turning it whithersoever he wills as one turns the rivers of water. We also pray 
because prayer honors God for his providence. We know that God opens doors and God shuts doors and God makes a way out of no way. We know that God can hinder and God can thwart and God can stop all bad devices, all bad agendas, all wrong, demonic, diabolical uh, objectives against his glory and his people. And, uh, Against his will. So we pray because it honors God's sovereignty. We pray because it honors God's providence. We pray because it honors God's redemptive promises. This is what we were saying earlier. We pray because we always want a door open for the preaching of the gospel with as little resistance as possible. Though resistance will never, ever ultimately thwart the cause of the gospel. But if we can do it in the context of peace, that's what we want. And then also we pray because it honors God in the life of the people of God who avoid the lie of politics. Every man will proclaim his own goodness. And this is how you end up running for president, running for governor, running for mayor, whatever. You boast in your goodness. You make a ton of promises. And those promises may or may not come to pass. Most of the time they don't. And, uh, and, and and yet we know it, don't we? We know that human beings, all of us by nature, are liars. In other words, we fail. We don't always come through. We don't always accomplish what we say we are going to accomplish. We don't always do what we promise to do. And this is very much true for politicians. So for the believer, we're praying because we want God to accomplish, advance, and increase his honor and glory in our world in spite of all of the kinks and the wills of politics. But that having been said, my question still to you is, is our president presently behaving in a fashion that would merit peachable query, impeachable query, if you will? Does it merit uh, the left, the liberals? The Democrats going after him to impeach him. Is he violating some constitutional law in what he's doing? What do you think? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Now, of course, I'm open for all questions, all uh, valid questions that can serve as a grounds of edification for today's program. So glad to be with you. I'm going to take a break. I've got three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's talk theology. Let's talk life. Let's talk sociology. Let's talk psychology. Let's talk the mind, the heart. Let's talk the family. Let's talk men and women. Let's talk children. Let's talk a biblical worldview on this Monday edition of Lifeline. one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 525. And you can uh, give me a call if you want to. one 888 Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We're trying to build a conversation on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Uh, one of my uh, opening comments was about our president. Just uh, wondering what you're thinking. Are you tracking with uh, his his behavior? And if if he's okay with you, cool. I mean, uh, I have I have to admit there are a number of things that he has done since he has become president in favor of. Uh, of Christians, without a doubt, we cannot deny that. We are thankful to that end that he has had a significant, targeted, and robust interest in making sure that freedom of religion, particularly for us in America, sustains a healthy, uh, 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 healthy freedom, healthy uh, representation. 
uh, for, in fact, if the liberals were in there, given the trajectory and the kind of massive pagan expressionism that's taking place among liberal thinking people, whether religious or not, uh, if, in fact, they would have their way, uh, the gospel would definitely be thwarted. And particularly the word of God seems like every time we quote a Bible verse or even make mention of the Bible, uh, like like garlic, you know, the liberal just starts melting all over the place as if somehow he just can't stand the blood (laughs) oxymoronic. But the point being is that I don't have any idea really whether or not President Trump is doing the right thing in terms of how he acts in his kind of normal idiosyncratic ways. He might very well be violating constitutional law and therefore needs to be careful. Um, But certainly he has been doing some good things. So I've got two lines open. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Let me go to line number um, line number two and talk with Daniel and Sonoma. Daniel, are you there? Yes. um, Thank you. Before I ask my question, I just want to tell you that I wish I would have had access to this quote from Greg Laurie before I had a conversation with my sister. We were having a lengthy conversation, and if I had access to this statement, I would have made it, because I was talking to her one evening, and what fit into the context of it was that he said, uh, although a lot of the people that talk so much about tolerance are some of the least tolerant people you're going to run across, because they talk about we need to have an inclusive, tolerant society. But then if you express a point of view such as you have expressed, as I've been listening to your uh, broadcast for months now, um, they don't want to tolerate that. I agree fully. Uh, they want to silence that. I agree. Um, okay, so my question is, and I emailed you about this, but I have been doing some more pondering since I emailed you. There were two occasions that I remember in the Old Testament where, firstly, in First uh, Samuel 2 and chapter 3, the ark was used in uh, leading out the Israelites for war, and the, it was captured. Right. And then in Jeremiah, no, in uh, Ezekiel, there's a case where Ezekiel was the glory depart from Jerusalem out over the desert or the wilderness. Right. There, I don't remember any other time in between when it was stated that the glory departed from Israel, but I wonder what the lesson is that we can draw from it, because uh, obviously there were many other times when Israel and uh, the kingdom of Judah disobeyed the Lord's will, but he didn't. He was gracious enough to not record taking his glory out of Judah. So... Um, why is it only mentioned twice in the Old Testament? And then when we get to the New Testament, I think you made reference to the ark being displayed in Revelation. And I was going to mention, too, I don't know whether you were giving this information in a Friday night Bible study or in a Sunday sermon, but it was uh, recently on your radio broadcast. So. <laughs> well, yeah, the uh, Ark of the Covenant becomes one of those uh, historic, paradigmatic emblems of uh, the true and the living God as a sovereign king and monarch over his people and ultimately over the world. 
the Ark of the Covenant comes into play with God having brought Israel into a people group under the Sinai Covenant that was established uh, in the wilderness two months after they came out of Egypt, some 1,480 years before Christ. And once he established them as his people, Yahweh says, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods beside me. And this becomes the premise for the Ten Commandments, which framed the whole of the vertical and horizontal relationship between God and his people and how they are to walk in that as a biblical worldview. Monotheism, you know, that's the case. Well, because they were under tutors and governors as a... um, as a pedagogical system that was appropriate for that time, meaning as a religious people, they were a priesthood. He said that in in Exodus chapter 19, I am making you a priest nation, a priestly nation and a kingdom of priests uh, over the whole world. Well, what God had initially established was that he would be their God personally, unlike the gods of the heathen, who were largely uh, uh, idols um, and men uh, to whom they would bow and yield allegiance to. And when God set up the temple system, as you would know, it becomes the 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 mechanism by which God reveals himself to Israel via, via the priesthood and the Urim and Thummim as well as the Ark of the Covenant being that stationary throne of God, as the psalmist puts it, thou, O shepherd of God's people who sit between the cherubim, who dwells between the cherub. The cherub are the cherub on either end of the mercy seat that sits as a lid over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And that whole Ark is an archetype of the person and work of Jesus. As you know, he is our propitiation. He is our mercy seat. Inside that ark are all of the revelatory emblems of Jesus as our mediator, like Aaron was the mediator, as Jesus as our bread, as the manna was put in a bowl and placed in the ark, as Jesus is our lawgiver, as the Ten Commandments were placed into that ark. So Jesus who is also Yahweh, God the Father and God the Son, are represented in that that ark of which Israel was to follow. And so as long as Israel obeyed God, God would go out before them and fight their battles. And this is that grand picture we talked about when Israel was told to stay 2,000 cubits behind the ark and let the ark go through the uh, Jordan River into the promised land and they were to follow the ark. This is what Jesus meant when he says, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes unto the father but by me. But what I said in that account was the people of God had a privilege of seeing the ark on that day. They never saw the ark on a, a common level because the ark, when they were moving from one camp to another, was covered. The only person that saw the ark was Aaron, and that was once a year on Yom Kippur, and that, you know, that was established upon Israel rebelling against God. That's Leviticus 16, as you know. So Israel didn't have the freedom of seeing the visible Yahweh, which is Jesus himself, uh, as the ark is naked and lifted up and held up by the priest as they went through the water to enter into the promised land. 
uh, uh, on a common basis. That was a beautiful event that lets you and I know that Jesus is our forerunner by which we enter into the promises of God represented by the um, by the Ark of the Covenant going into the Jordan and then into the promised land where they took 12 stones from the promised land and put them in the water, 12 stones out of the water into the promised land to demonstrate that the 12 uh, tribes of Israel went in via death, via Christ, and then into the promise because Christ was the one that went into death for us, the Jordan River being a type of death. So the New Testament parallel to that is baptism. As Christ died, we die. As Christ was buried, we were buried. As Christ rose again, we rose again. And Israel was to remember that they were only in the promised land because they had a mediator. They had a king of glory, a visible Yahweh who entered into their death for them so that God made a way out of no way. As you know, drying up the river of Jordan all the way up to the city of Adam. That is a a pun referring to the putting away of all of our sins as far as the east is from the west, going all the way back to our father, Adam, who is the original cause for our sins. So it's a beautiful picture of our redemption. But if you follow what's going on in the book of Judges all the way up to the book of Samuel, which they overlap, like you said, the ark goes into captivity because of their rebellion and because of their apostasy. And it's recovered by David. It's recovered by David. But Israel's rebellion collapses immensely under King Solomon. And and as you said, you don't see any language of the ark being revealed during that time. And, and it's, it's, it's my contention, uh, Daniel, that in the days of Solomon, which is Solomon, which is an enigmatic sort of prophetic image of both the glory of the gospel being expanded to all the nations with him being married to 700 wives and 300 concubines as Christ is married to Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ from every nation. But on the other hand, Solomon did some some horrible things in his glorifying himself in the expansion of the temple and the bringing in of many wives that turned his heart away. So eventually the kingdom was divided and Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the Ark of the Covenant. He destroyed everything as you would read the latter chapters of Chronicles and Kings. And so Ezekiel's vision is a vision that he that that God gives him about the spirit of God leaving Israel because after many, many years of them apostatizing, he finally departs. And the images him leaving the Ark of the Covenant, him leaving from on the cherubim in the holy place and then going out to the corners of the temple. And finally, as you saw in Ezekiel 8 through 11, out into the wilderness, which meant that Israel was no longer protected by God. And thus they were invaded by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, and then the Grecians uh, until the restoration. And the restoration promise in the book of Ezekiel is a a fabulous uh, uh, doctrinal thing that we need to work through in the near future because you have chapter 40 to 48 where the temple is restored. All of that to me is redemptive language concerning the advance of the gospel in all the world for you and I are the temple of the living God. Christ is the quintessential temple. So we're not talking a physical temple in Jerusalem as the premillennial dispensationalists would say. I would argue otherwise, even with the book of Revelation getting to the last and final revelation of the ark, because the book of Revelation, I think it's chapter 11. Uh, I'm not quite sure now, but it says, and the temple was open 
and the Ark of the Covenant was revealed. And that language to covenant people would underscore that God is about to rise up and execute sovereign judgment over the nations that would come against God's holy people. Now, God's using the Old Testament nomenclature, nomenclature in the book of Revelation. But Pauline theology, apostolic theology, has plainly told us that there is no two people of God. There's only one people of God, true Jews, true Abrahamic children, the true body of Christ, the true temple. And there could be a whole lot more said. But what I'm getting at is that the revelation of the Ark of the Covenant uh, is something important to God in terms of God actually manifesting his sovereign righteousness against a rebellious world that ultimately is attacking his people. And that is a future reality to come uh, during a period of tribulation that will probably usher in the return of the visible Yahweh, Jesus himself, as the great shepherd and king of his church to redeem us from the destruction of the ultimate apostasy uh, of this world. I hope that helps a little bit. I'm glad that you brought it up because I like talking about these things and trying to cohere Old Testament concepts with New Testament concepts. Hope that kind of satisfies your thoughts around that. I only say this about the earlier part, Daniel, that um, God has always demonstrated patience with his people in spite of their rank uh, weakness and rank apostasy. And, And he does it, as you know, according to second Peter three, around verse nine, not willing that any of us, that is God's elect should perish, but that all of them should come to repentance. God allows the world to act a fool. He even allows his, his church in its apostasy to act a fool, but he is saving a people even in the midst of all that crazy, um, notwithstanding the evil that takes place all around us. So I hope that helps. I'm way overdue. I got to take a break. Uh, pay some bills. And when I come back, I will pick up with uh, Jesse and I will pick up with um, Mark, depending on what he's talking about. Uh, two lines open, one 367 Two lines open, one 367 We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back the time 547 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We have one line open, one Triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to join the conversation or advance a new topic, let me go to line one and talk with Jesse about Revelation Bible Ministries. Jesse, are you there? I am here, Pastor. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm great. Let's quickly talk about this Saturday's wonderful opportunity to bless our brothers and sisters who are presently incarcerated. Um, what what do we have going on? Okay, and so it's the uh, second Saturday of the month. It's the 12th, and we're uh, inviting the KFAX family, all our brothers and sisters, and it's uh, all hands on deck. And so for the first time, by the grace of God alone, uh, there's going to be 400-plus Bibles being shipped. Wow. And so the Lord, yeah, it's just amazing. The Lord provided for them all. He provided the volunteers who grade them all. And on Saturday, there'll be volunteers tabbing, writing a little handwritten note in there, Right. And then shipping them. Wow. And it's just so amazing. And we just thank God for what he's doing, the provision, but also the volunteers. And if you just step in, and you, I know that you come in uh, a lot there, and you can just see that the Lord has set these volunteers on fire. It's it's something that he's doing. And it's just so amazing to be a part of that. But we just felt that it was 
uh, necessary just to invite everyone to come on down and to be a part of this work that the Lord is doing. And also because of the amount of Bibles that are going to be going out, we can sure use every hand uh, who's listening. Absolutely. So, you know, always glad to talk about the um, application of the gospel um, so this is something me and my wife were talking about last night after um, going to a certain event. A lot of things often taking place in the church today. For me, Jesse, that's out of kilter. Many of our churches are engaging in all kinds of uh, philanthropic, uh, altruistic um, outreach activities, which are all good. But if it's not based upon the gospel and the true gospel at that, if it's not really uh, aiming at bringing men and women to know Jesus Christ in the fullness of his redemptive glory, then uh, then it's a, it's a sad facsimile of a social good that doesn't have any eternal benefit. And often this is where churches are collapsing into uh, era uh, works without grace, if, if you will, and works without a grace that leads men and women to the gospel of grace in the person of Christ. When you get your gospel right, when you understand that our lives are redeemed by the blood of the lamb and that we are not our own, but bought with a price and we recognize the sufficiency and fullness and finality of the cross work of Christ as the grounds of our eternal, immutable, unchangeable, irrevocable acceptance before God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We, out of a love for what God has done for us in Christ, are compelled and impelled eternal, internally to want to serve God and therefore serve our fellow man. And that that means that we are ordained unto good works that flow from a justification that was merited for us outside of us in the person of Jesus. So we're not act, mixing works with grace. We are affirming the work that proceeds from grace. And one of them among us is the Revelation Bible ministry that has been in effect for maybe now uh going on two years jesse three years three, i think it's at least three years there at uh, at grace and I yeah. think five years as a ministry but just to kind of co- make concrete what you just shared you know just summarizing one of the letters that we read and we read uh, the letters there at the volunteer days sure but we had a a, a man who uh shared that uh, he was a three striker right uh so he's doing life right and but he said this and he said but i have such joy in my heart Right. And we read that. It was like, what do you mean? And he said, because the Lord Jesus found me. Right. And I have a relationship with him. And he said, please send me a Bible and any study uh, material that you may have. I really believe I've been called by God to preach the gospel here in this prison for the rest of my life. Yeah, those are wonderful. Work of grace. It's an absolutely yeah. marvelous thing. And and if we had time, maybe one of the maybe one of these days, and I want you in the channel to talk about it. What we will do is take a half an hour in the program and read three or four select letters, because what people don't know is what you and I know is that the letters tell the deep, rich, intricate and intimate stories of men and women who are incarcerated, how that Christ really does visit them in prison via the gospel and the power of his spirit to redeem them and to redeem their circumstances. And those testimonies are absolutely humbling. They are rich and they are worthy of us free citizens to hear, to humble us in order that we might be engaged in doing the very work that we're doing 
wanting to serve our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated, who love Christ dearly, but need the resources that they can't get on the inside. And thus what we are doing. Let me say this to let you go. And so you talked to Chana about that. I'm looking forward to having a, a half an hour of that kind of letter discussion. We will move a lot of people who just don't know and don't care about the incarcerated to see how the glory of God and the person of Christ really richly blesses them in that state and condition. Um, Ladies yep. and gentlemen, if you are not doing anything this Saturday, we, we get started early. The doors open about eight o'clock and, and people are coming and going. But if you don't have the experience of handling Bibles, really good Bibles, not cheap Bibles, quality Bibles that are hand graven with personal names and other care that we attend these gifts with, uh, by which we ship them off to real human beings, real persons. If you've never been engaged in that, we would encourage you to come out to Grace on Saturday um, anytime, 8.30, and you can be there for 30 minutes, an hour, a couple hours. We guarantee you, if you've never done this, when you come, you will be exposed to men and women who enjoy Christ, who love one another, who laugh and rejoice and talk and serve uh, in a way that is just unique and uh, is what is meant when we talk about and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ, as we engage in the task of getting the word of God to men and women, which is what we all need. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So this Saturday, the second for us, the second Sunday of the month uh, is, is when our gates open and we, we invite all the folks that are out there. You ain't doing nothing. May the Lord lay on your heart this um, this Saturday morning to get up, come on over to Grace. We have food, drinks, juices, all we provide everything. And largely what we pro- provide is an atmosphere where we can all rejoice in the gospel together as we serve God and uh, make sure that we execute Matthew 25. When I was in prison, you did visit me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. This is what we want to hear since we know we have to face him who went to prison for us. Face him who went to death for us. Face him who bore the wrath of God for us. We want to face him having mimicked him by his grace, obeying his command to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesse, thanks for the call, and uh, we'll see you on this Saturday. God bless you. Thank you. You too, my brother. You too. Let me go to line number one, uh, line number three, and see what Mark is up to on line number three. Mark, what say ye today? Well, I'd like to talk about Mr. Mudd and angels and things like that. I don't know who Um, Mr. Mudd is. Who is that? You don't listen to InfoWars? No, I never. No, I I really don't. But now you you might want to. You should. Your moral responsibility, if you want the news, to listen to InfoWars. It's the best source of news out there. Now, who is Mud? Mud, the former... What? Who is Mud? Because I've heard the name, but I don't know who he is. Yeah, um, Mud, he was the former director of the uh, CIA. Oh, yeah, that's right. uh, That's right. Got it. Go it on. Yeah, and, you know, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, you know, and... The Lord knows where he lives, and he knows where everyone lives. And, you know, the eyes of the Lord behold the evil and the good. And uh, he uh, made a statement, something to the effect that 
Trump is going to get stabbed in the back. He made this threat, and he uh, Trump called in the Marines, and uh, this is all on Infowars. It's happening. It is how, happening. How come it's not on public media? Because there's five corporations that control ninety percent of the media. But the, the president, the president, the now now Mark, if the president wanted this information that you're talking about made known all over the world. You don't think the president can tell the world that some fool is trying to uh, assassinate him? Some fool already made three days, four days ago, he made that statement on the 3rd of October. Mudd made that statement. The president knows about it? Yeah, he knows about it. That's why he's got the Marines there. The the Marines where? The Marines use their rifles well. To do what? I really do. To kill him. Well, well, you, you know, no, you you don't want to advocate that. So let's go back to the question: Did they arrest him? Well, isn't it strange? He's walking around. He's he's walking around a free man, Brennan. And uh, listen, let, hold on, hold on, hold on. Didn't 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 Trump fire him? Trump took away Brennan's uh, court. Uh, Allowing him to go into the White House and then his buddies. That's right. He took um, away his access. He took away his access. Right. He didn't fire Mud. I don't know. Okay. I I don't know. But I know this. That's treason. And uh, what is treason? Hold hold on. Hold on. What is treason, Mark? You're all over the map. What's treason? Treason to say. I'm not all over the map. You just keep interrupting me. So it's difficult to you know, finish a sentence without being interrupted. That's treason to threaten a former CIA director to threaten to kill the president. He's not a carpet cleaner. He's a former director of the CIA. You're not sure that he used a, you're not sure that he was using a, um, an, a, a euphemism to say that the president was going to be betrayed behind his back by somebody in the administration. No, it didn't sound like that. Well, that's what it sounds like like to me when you say he said the president is going to be stabbed in the back. I don't take that literally. I take that metaphorically. Uh, Is that what you said he said? He said said silicon, I believe, is the the, uh, silicon knife, which could get under the radar. In other words, if somebody's carrying a gun that's not allowed to be carrying a gun, they can determine it because the gun's made out of metal, but a silicon knife is not. And it seemed to indicate that. And I'm telling you what, it's really interesting because in Matthew 13, when Jesus gave the parable of the tares and the wheat, he said, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn." As therefore the weeds or tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and cast them into a furnace of fire. There should be wailing and gnashing of teeth, and all this takes place in the time of harvest, if you can take that point in the parable as to have an exact meaning. Yeah, well, 
the the problem I have the problem I have with I don't have a problem with the parable that you quoted. I actually believe that is precisely what will happen in terms of the unfolding of history right before Christ comes. I really do believe that. Problem I have with is applying it to politics and and uh, insinuating that uh, mud is part of the uh, the tares that will be reaped out. Also inferring that uh, certain politicians are themselves wheat. I don't think I would make that isogetical application to politics, but I do understand, you know, where you're coming from. Uh, We shall see. We shall see. There is no doubt about it. Things are going to collapse around us, get dark. Uh, Evil will prevail. Apostasy will continue to prevail. Chaos will rule the world. Uh, Men will continue to unsuccessfully suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But uh, God will have the last last word. Christ will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those who know not the truth and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's something that we have to be ready for, because when it begins to unfold, there will be no turning back. Thank you for the call. I got to take a break. Three lines are open. one 367 5329 one You are listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistin. Looking forward to dialoguing with you on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 